With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. And hello and welcome to Wednesday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. You know what day it is, right? It's Valentine's Day, but you probably aren't celebrating it because you're awake. And I mean awake as opposed to woke, because we all know what Valentine's Day is about, don't we? It's that day when people who have failed to show appreciation for their loved ones for 365 days of the year rush into garages, buy overpriced, wilting flowers and use that to profess their love. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just love each other all year round. That's the way forward. And uh, I just want to say last Friday, I outlined the court case regarding Tom, whom local authorities had taken to the High Court with the intent of having him forcibly jabbed with the C-19 vaccination. His mum contacted me to thank me for the support from TNT and from people who had heard the story and had commented on it on YouTube, etc. She said she'd love to join us here one morning and her lawyers are currently attempting to have her court order overturned. In cases like this, the parents are often anonymous to protect the child or the vulnerable party. But there has been so many, just lots and lots of brilliant, supportive comments for her and for Tom. That's not her real name. Uh, She uses the name Sarah, by the way, which isn't her real name. And again, it is to create that anonymity, which is necessary for the court of protection. And brilliant comments, as I say, Lou on Instagram kind of sums it up. Um, That poor mum, she says, praying he stays jab free and these people do not get to him. What the hell is wrong with the system? He has human rights not to be forced. I'm praying for the family, as indeed we all are, Lou, as indeed we all are. Now, you've heard the expression, of course, go woke, go broke. Well, this could easily apply to a trendsetter in Wokedom, and that is The Body Shop, whose beauty chain has gone into administration in the UK. The chain currently employs some 10,000 people across 3,000 stores. It operates in more than 70 countries in the world with a further 12,000 staff in their franchises. It's only the UK stores which are going to be impacted by bringing in administrators. That's right, bringing in administrators. And that could affect two staff and 199 stores. So, as I say, administrators have been brought in. They've been brought in only weeks after the chain was purchased by Aurelius. Aurelius's aim was to re-energize the business. In a statement, it said administrators will now consider all options to find a way forward for the business and will update creditors and employees in due course. The business will continue to trade in both in-store and online while plans are made for the future. Now, when the body shop started in the 70s, it was the best kind of woke. It was caring. It was compassionate. It was seeking a less capitalist society. As I say, it was founded in the 70s by Anita Roddick. She promoted an ethical beauty brand where animals were not tortured for cosmetic beauty. In recent times, however, the body shop began to insult its customer base by leaping on the trans bandwagon and declaring support for the notion that people could be born in the wrong body. This reached something of a crisis point for the store in 2020 when J.K. Rowling published a blog about why she was standing up for women's rights. And she had also catalogued her own experience of being sexually assaulted. The body shop 
responded by making light of these revelations and by tweeting her. I was absolutely furious by this response, as indeed were many people. And I tweeted the body shop and that tweet went viral. And to this day, it is still being retweeted. I suppose even more so now with the news that they've gone into administration. And I called them out for attempting to get likes off the back of someone's trauma, which I found, frankly, absolutely abhorrent. I wrote, have you lost the plot? She opens up about her abuse and you seek to get likes at her expense. What is wrong with you? Without a doubt, this is the worst corporate attempt at being funny by a long shot. I was a several decade long customer and I vowed never to shop there again. And I haven't. And I am not alone. I am far from alone. And according to the company accounts from 2021 onwards, profits decreased rapidly. In 2021, body shop sales were 270 million. But by 2022, they had slumped to 197 million. This is really serious. I take no pleasure whatsoever in seeing thousands of jobs threatened, but this must be a warning to businesses. If you take people for granted, if you insult your customer base, the one that got you where you are in the first place, you have to accept the consequences. Just ask Bud Light. They suffered exactly the same thing, tremendous backlash and loss last year by following the same insulting route of the body shop. The body shop owes its fortune almost entirely to women. Do not insult us because you will learn. That is a bad, bad idea. You simply cannot expect people to buy your goods if you're busy sticking two fingers up at us. And on that note, I just want to say last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21 at the UK High Court. This was to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. And on that note, it is time to bring in Gemma Cooper. I'll be back with her shortly. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. It is indeed TNT and this is indeed Gemma Cooper. How are you, Gemma? Yes, very well, Sonia. <clears throat> Despite it being hump day, you know, Wednesday, but it's, I find it fascinating what you say about the body shop because I used to work for the body shop um, when I was younger. I lived in Brighton for a little bit and the body shop's headquarters in Littlehampton, where Anita Roddick grew up, she she did something quite revolutionary there. She built a massive factory in her sleepy little, you know, East Sussex town where she grew up. And it was where they made all the cosmetics. And I used to take people on tours around uh, and, and show wow. them the, the plan. And I was a tour guide. That's kind of where I learned how to do a bit of presenting, really. It's way before I entered the, the media. Um, and, and I used to work there. And it was a really, it was a good place to work. But the rot set in, I think, when she floated the company. She sold it to L'Oreal, didn't she? Uh, oh. Oof, and, she uh, did. It was a animal yeah, testing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was a real kind of indication, actually, then of like, I mean, obviously, Anita Roddick is dead now. She's not here to defend herself. But it was a kind of, did you really believe in all your values? Or were you just building a company to make a lot of money? And she came in for huge uh, flack when, when that happened. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. You know, go woke, go broke. Don't insult your customer base like that. You know, don't, women are really getting really, uh, what's the word angry unhappy uh rallied raged uh by the by the agenda of cancelling women in the trans agenda and it is an agenda um and the companies that look up 
to their their kind of paymasters and implement what what they want from above. No, you look down. You look down to your customer base. You know your audience. You know in any in any field of business, TNT here we have to know our audience. Otherwise, you've got no product. Uh, so yeah, that was the beginning of the end for them. But you know, I I I was quite shocked when she she floated it and it got bought by L'Oreal. I thought, yeah, that's a kind of sellout there for me. <laughs> so I stopped yeah, buying I, felt her. I stopped going then. Yeah, I stopped going then. I stopped, and I was a real body shop customer. I was just like just like you were, but I stopped. For years, because, you know, it, it did start off with all the correct ethics. It was absolutely wonderful. And and that humble beginning. And she really seemed to walk the talk. And I, I so I grew up with that brand and I, you know, the, the body butter and everything, loved it. But it, it is such a shame. But yeah, absolutely. You cannot insult your customer base because you will pay for it. You absolutely will pay for it. And, and deservedly so, in my opinion. I just wonder as well, before I move on to the story of the day, which is, is, is also about retail here in the UK, I wonder if it's indicative of like, you know, that's the way the world is. You start out with the best of intentions. You think you can change right. the system. You, you try and do something different. And then the corporates come sniffing and they, they, they give you all this money and they're like, you know, just, uh, you know, you sell your company, you've done enough. And it, that was just a kind of microcosm of where we are in the world that even if you try your really very best to make a difference and do the right thing and stand up against the system, the system will come sniffing around and amalgamate you into it, the corporate culture, uh, these huge behemoth companies with parent companies and parent companies that you just can't stand up against. And eventually you just capitulate uh, and the system sucks you in. I wonder if it's kind of an example of that, of like, you know, but, you know, we're we're trying here to to, to do our very best to stand up against the system here at TNT and change the media landscape. So maybe things are different this time around, uh, given that people are really beginning now to see through how the world is really run. Yeah, we, we need to be more conscious with our consumerism, frankly. I try to be as much as humanly possible. It's very difficult in this world because there's always something linked to something and almost everything is linked to black rock. And uh, so it is extremely difficult, but all we can do is our absolute best. But when they're absolutely blatant, blatantly insulting you, insulting the customer base, you have no alternative but to turn on your heel. But I do think it could pro- probably be a microcosm because, you know, there's that old expression, isn't it? And that is many people start off as a lefty and end up as a Tory as they start to understand how the world works. But, you know, that might be a discussion for another day. Who knows? So, Gemma, what are you here to talk about today? Well, I'm here to talk about retail as well, because we have got these figures out in the UK today and they're, they're quite shocking figures and the headlines make for quite, you know, surprising reading, actually, um, kind of. And then you look the, look at the headlines behind these headlines and you see where it's going and you're like, right, let, let's let, we'll have to pick apart this one. So uh, shoplifting in the in the UK now is at a record high uh, with 16.7 million incidents recorded last year that's recorded so think about all the ones that just got away with it um and it's costing retailers 1.8 billion now and this is the first time that shoplifting has gone above the cost to the retailers 1 billion now it's cost you say cost to the retailers it's also cost to the consumer because wherever possible when the, when you have a spate of shoplifting they pass the cost down the food chain and we're the ones at the bottom that end up paying so I, this i think could be linked could be linked they say about the cost of living and all ukraine affecting prices i wonder how much shoplifting is affecting prices, the price hikes, which we are absolutely seeing in every area of of food and supermarket products here in the UK. Um, So it's 1.8 billion, nearly 2 billion is costing retailers, i.e. us. Um, And also what's on the increase is quite shocking levels of violence and abuse against shop workers, which has doubled which is nearly doubled. Um, physical violence, threats with weapons, racial abuse, sexual abuse, sexual harassment uh, all seem to be going hand in hand with this epidemic.
pandemic, which many retailers are now calling it, epidemic of shoplifting. Often what will happen is that staff will confront a shoplifter and then they'll be attacked. Uh, many people have left the retail profession completely as a result of this, and many are considering quitting. And the British Retail Consortium says it's never been worse. This is, is, is an absolutely terrible problem for retailers and staff. Um, the retailers say it's two things. They're blaming it on the cost of living. Uh, they're saying because of the price hikes are so high, you could argue they're the ones hiking the prices up, so they're causing the problem. Um, they say it's the cost of living. Thieves are now stealing, whereas before maybe one or two items, they're now taking multiple items. You've got gangs running through department stores like John Lewis uh, en masse and doing a very sophisticated uh, swoop operations. And um, they're also saying it's a lack of consequences for shoplifters as a whole. There's, there's not real any consequences for shoplifters. It doesn't seem to go through the court system. They're kind of let off with a caution. Um, and that, that's a big motivation for people to continue doing it. So the, this is interesting here. Uh, what a lot of the retailers are doing now is they're funding uh, their own kind of prevention uh, schemes. Uh, they've got involved with the police, uh, Project Pegasus, uh, which is 10 of the big retailers here in the UK, including John Lewis, um, are paying £600,000 each to fund this project. And guess, of course, what they're going to bring in to tackle this problem? More facial recognition software, more CCTV cameras, uh, basically increasing our already massive surveillance culture here in the UK in department stores and retail outlets across the land. That's the solution to this problem. You remember last week we talked about the dental story, you know, dental crisis, problem, reaction. Let's do something about it. Solution, fluoride. That was last week's problem, reaction, solution. It seems today we've got this epidemic of shoplifting and violence. Problem, reaction, let's do something about it. Project Pegasus, solution, surveillance culture. So, uh, you know, you do rather wonder uh, how much of this is being spun up. I don't doubt that there's a problem with shoplifting. I myself w witnessed it in Glastonbury a few weeks ago. I was down there. And I was doing something in Glastonbury and I was in one of the local shops. It was a co-op shop and, and a man brazenly just walked in, snatched a load of products off the shelves, ran out. Security guard tried to confront him and they, so he grabbed his arm and the shoplifter said, don't you touch me, mate. That's assault. So he, the, shop, the shoplifter just got away with it. So I've witnessed it firsthand. That's something I've never seen there before. Um, so there is a problem. This is the reaction. But the solution, of course, is let's all, you know, facial recognition, CCTV, just what people don't want. We've got enough of that everywhere already. Look at that. You know, it's really interesting. It's very funny you should say that, the problem, reaction, solution, obviously the Hegelian dialectic. And uh, and what is interesting there is when they've been showing these steaming attacks recently, which is lots of lots of people, the TikTok generation running through stores and blatantly stealing. I kept thinking this is going to lead to something. This is about something because they don't normally promote the media doesn't normally promote that sort of imagery but it has over the last few years certainly with like the advent of uh, that that tiktok character mizzy for example running into stores having people following him all of that sort of stuff you know the thing is Gemma, we have to acknowledge what we know and we know that they do these things in order to be able to create a reaction and to be able to get the solution that they want we don't need any more cctv heaven forbid we are one of the most heavily cctv capitals in the entire world and yet somehow Gemma. 
whenever we actually need CCTV footage, for example, when they say that MPs have been run into around Parliament, there is, you know, by cars, for example, as, as happened in recent years, there's no footage to to show this. So it just, it, I just find those sort of things interesting. But yeah, it just seems to me like they're ramping it all up because shoplifting obviously has always existed. So why now are we hearing just so much about it? Got to be for a reason, Gemma. Yeah, we are hearing more about it. But as I said, I don't doubt that it's on the increase. And as well, you're quite right to point out the TikTok generation and the, the fashion that goes with this. Um, but as supermarkets and, and retailers, you know, they're hiking prices up themselves. They want to keep their profits right. high for their shareholders. So if, if you know, if, if you're saying on the one hand it's because products are too expensive, that's why they're being stolen. We'll bring the prices down, and then you people will probably be more inclined to pay. Uh, you know, that's, it's, you can't have it both ways. You know, you need to keep, you want to keep your prices high to please your shareholders and your corporate paymasters uh, and keep your profits high. Um, then you're going to have to accept that what comes with it, as people are being squeezed. You know, the retail price index inflation at one point last year, consumer price inflation was 11 percent it's huge wow. you know a, a, just wow. for example a bottle of olive oil where i shop sometimes sometimes um used to be just hovering around the three four pound marks now gone up to six pounds that, that's a huge a huge leap and that's just one kind of staple or even vegetable oil as a whole the prices you know the, just the basics so if you're going to yes. hike the prices up be prepared yes. for what comes with it um but absolutely of course, you know, None of us want surveillance, though. That's the thing. None of us want any more of this. We're all fed up of it already. Looks like it's on its way, though. Yes, indeed. And that has been Wednesday's edition with Gemma Cooper. I will be back shortly. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means. Because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And... Um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo i mean let's see it's foreign coverage the bbc will say the moderate blah 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 party in the third world meaning well the guys we approve of and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of helen neuroth taylor on today's news talk tnt radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener what's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it you know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. tntradio.live. Of course, Gemma's got them talking in the comments. Lord Melbury says, CCTV never works during terrorism acts. Yes, that was my point. Absolutely, Lord Melbury. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I, some soul sound. No, the solution is not to make stealing legal for everyone. I don't think that's the solution at all. Um, but uh, surveillance seems to be the only growth industry, they're saying. Absolutely. Shoplifters being used to usher in digital surveillance and digital ID, says just a bloke. 
all done on purpose Gemma says uh Shug indeed it is indeed it is now talking about being all done on purpose let's talk about the green agenda shall we I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Morrison Chris Morrison is the Daily Skeptics environment editor Chris you wrote a brilliant article about what green jobs because obviously we're being constantly fooled into this idea that green is a fantastic growth industry and all of our financial woes are going to be adjusted and taken care of when we fully adapt the agenda of uh, UN 2030. Welcome to the Sonia Poulton Show, Chris. Thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you, Sonia. So let's talk about this article that you wrote. First of all, this whole idea that there's new jobs going to be created. Well, you absolutely set fire to that notion in your article. Outline to us exactly why no new jobs are particularly. Well, there might be a smidgen of new jobs, but this is about repackaging, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose on the macro level, uh, the whole point of net zero, where we try and uh, take away this insane idea that we can remove within less than 30 years the uh, um, hydrocarbons that have powered our modern industrial society is is, is insane anyway. And, and of course, if you take away all of our, our power and, and just rely on the breezes and, and the sunbeams, uh, you, you know, you will go back in the memorable words of um, uh, Sultan Ahmad al-Jabba, the COP28 president, it'll take us back to the caves. So that's on the macro level. On the micro level, uh, yes, this, the article uh, took its theme from a recent report from the uh, Office of National Statistics uh, in the UK. And they looked uh, from 2015 to 2020, the number of green jobs they say have been uh, created. And it was a work of um, considerable creativity, let's say. Uh, the standout figure for me was that 10% of these jobs, and they identified about half a million, 500,000, the standout one was that 10% of these jobs are in charities. Uh, well, charity is, is a very charitable way of, of describing these activities. I would prefer uh, rather the um, uh, activists uh, are working with green billionaire money to uh, reset um, on a supranational um, level uh, um, uh, uh, human civilization. Uh, so, but 10% were charities. And, and a lot of the rest seemed to be, for instance, there was a lot of talk about waste, uh, back in the day, we would call uh, um, people who, who, who worked in the waste business dustmen. Uh, there was a lot of that. <laughs> uh, my old man, there's an old story, there's an old song in this country, in the UK. If you go back to the 50s, Lonnie Donegan, my old man's a dustman, and my old man's now a green dustman, of course. Um, and <laughs> So, so there's there's, there's, there's an awful lot of um, uh, there's an awful lot of uh, uh, creative uh, reworking of what these jobs are. There's a lot of uh, not just the charities. There's a lot of uh, jobs in environmental education, uh, advising government, consultancy, uh, and if you actually look, uh, and of course they 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 the biggest uh, growth area it seems is uh, energy efficient products. Well, I mean, who doesn't like an energy efficient product? And who, who hasn't, right. if you're in, in private business, been aiming to get more energy efficient business, uh, products ever since the dawn of time? Uh, um, and so you have to sort of ask in, you know, where are all these jobs coming from? Uh, we quoted in the article, I'm sure you saw it, uh, Gary Smith, who runs the 
uh, GMB union, which is uh, a union that's heavily connected with manufacturing industry. Uh, he wrote, a, he, he gave a quote to the spectator, which the first time I printed this, I said it was slightly tongue in cheek, but I'm not completely sure. So I'll just read briefly what, what he said. And he said, uh, he said, uh, you point to communities along uh, the North Coast and see the wind farms, he said. But he said, but you can't point to the jobs. He said, uh, adding, he then said, green work seems to be either in London-based lobbying or clearing away dead animal casualties of wind farms. He then quoted, it's usually a man in a rowing boat sweeping up the dead birds. Well, we can, we can talk about the, uh, if you like, the millions of bats and, and, and the raptors, the eagles are all killed by these ghastly uh, wind farms, these huge blades now. That, that, that's another point. Um, but people are starting to, to sort of cotton on that there aren't really any new jobs in this industry. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a it, it's an industry net zero that's destroying jobs. Uh, right. Taking, yes. Uh, I think that's a, a very key point right there, actually. I think that's really important to pick up on because let's just go back to that. So the ONS, as you say, recently reported that there were half a million, 526,000 green jobs in 2020. But as you rightfully point out, they include workers in the waste business, electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, you know, repackaging. Um, and what you actually say, the reality is, and this is interesting, is that the great reset underway, it is almost certainly unlikely to have created even more than 150,000 genuine yeah. new jobs in yeah, the UK, yeah. right? So why does the over-egging of the pudding? Is this to get us all involved in it? Because obviously, as we gain, we're also going to lose in the same way as supermarkets with their, you know, the people-less tills where we're doing all self-service. We're losing in that industry. So are we really truly gaining even those 150 potential new jobs? Well, I mean, there's uh, the way to look at all, all creation of jobs, um, because, you know, when when people take vast amounts of money out of your pocket, um, state bureaucrats and say they're creating jobs, they usually are destroying jobs, in fact, because right. they never work out, they never work out that that money, if left in the pockets of individuals, would then be spent on products that people actually want. And that would create more uh, wealth creating jobs. Um, so uh, what a lot of these people in charities, for instance, uh, don't understand is they're saving the planet, but in fact, they're parasites. Uh, much of this job is parasitical uh, because they rely on somebody else getting out of bed in the morning and going and doing a productive work, which can be then be taxed, which can then sort of give them the money uh, to, to carry on their virtuous work. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of the jobs that uh, you, you, you think of in the green economy are simply displacement jobs. So the electric vehicles jobs, for instance, uh, they actually point out one of the main jobs is 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 uh, uh, installing charging stations. Well, if electrical vehicles do take off, and there's a lot of doubt whether the things will uh, take off because people don't seem to like them, the, the sales are going down. Uh, if 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 it if they do take off in any significant way, then of course fuel pumps and delivering fuel those jobs will be taken out of the economy. So so exactly. It's, it, Exactly. Let me just hold that there a second, Chris. We're just going to go to the news headlines. We will be right back and we will continue this conversation. Okay, everybody, listen up. Big news. Big news. For real big news. Here we go. Now, TNT Radio News. 
Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Senate has passed a foreign aid bill unlocking $95 billion in wartime funding for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. But the bill must now be approved by the House of Representatives. Despite being the oldest president in US history, the White House has confirmed 81-year-old Joe Biden will not take a cognitive test when he sits for his upcoming physical exam. And a powerful explosion has erupted at a key gas pipeline in central Iran. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. I'm just having this brilliant conversation with Chris Morrison, who is the Daily Skeptics environment editor. And it's really about the whole lie of net zero, green energy, the green agenda. And Chris has written a brilliant article about what called what green jobs and indeed, and we're just talking about the true detrimental impact of the so-called green jobs, Chris, and, and the economic uh, damage that it, it, the toll that it's taking on us. Can you expand on that a bit more? Well, yes, try telling the 3,000 steelworkers who've just been thrown on the scrap heap um, in Port Talbot uh, that they're part of this new wonderful green revolution. Uh, um, it was, uh, I, I found it particularly amusing to see Steve Kinnock, uh, who's the MP for that area, trying to explain away the fact that, you know, all of his constituents, because when you lose 3,000 steelworkers in Port Talbot, Port Talbot's not a big place. It's an industrial centre. And of course, there's all the cafes and, and the bars and the pubs are, are all sort of, you know, going to lose money by losing these sort of um, uh, very, very valuable jobs. Uh, that was caused purely by the price. Uh, it was caused by partly, well, it was caused by two things. One was the price of energy. And the other is this insane idea that we have got to sort of, you know, cut these, cut these emissions. Uh, the price of energy in this country has... I think quadrupled since 2003. We stopped being in the UK a net exporter of energy in 2005. Uh, and we have got politicians in charge who are determined to take away all of our sort of independent sources of energy and replace them with these windmills and solar panels. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing this double whammy of high energy, uh, a green energy, which is, which is utterly useless frankly uh, i mean it is it is becoming the more the more green energy such as wind and solar that you put into into the grid the more the cost goes up because because you cannot store it the royal society recently came out with a report that that dismissed battery storage which is the thing that they've always been talking about and the only thing they could provide was hydrogen which is a really dumb idea because it's um it's highly explosive it will cost billions for to set it up uh you need uh, fossil fuels hydrocarbons to make it mostly um but that's the only solution they have and there is, in other words there is no solution to the intermittent problem of wind and therefore uh you have to have a fully functioning fleet of gas turbines uh, and they will, the more you put on, the more they stand idle and the more the cost goes up. Right. So we have therefore energy in this country that's, that's, that's far too expensive. It, I think it's, I think it's double the price of the energy in, 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 in the United States. 
And of course, in China, where they are busy using hydrocarbons like it hasn't gone out of fashion, of course, the energy is much, much cheaper. So they've got all the power to make all the green things that we then uh, import into this country while we close our industry down. So where all this, anybody who thinks any of this is a good idea, really shouldn't be anywhere near a public office. They really should well, not be. They really well, should not be near any, any government body. Well, you bring me to probably the, the king eco-fascist has to be Sadiq Khan. He's absolutely fanatical, isn't he? Obviously, the co-chair of C40 Cities. You even mention him in the yeah. article about London's Green New Deal. Tell us about that. Well, no. Uh, yeah. Well, in, in C40, this rather sinister green billionaire-backed operation um, from uh, courtesy of Michael Bloomberg and Sir Christopher Holm, who's, who, who funds Extinction Rebellion, uh, he stood up in New York uh, last year at some climate conference, and he said that uh, C40 cities, 50 C4 cities, had, con had, had contributed 14 million green jobs already. Well, the thing about Mayor Khan, as we know, is that whenever he starts talking about statistics and data, then we need to cut, start counting the spoons, because this man can't be trusted, uh, in my view, on his past record, we're getting anything right like that. Now, what's he done in London? He threw in 10 million quid, uh, but it was for basically a lot of insulating homes and then he threw in um uh, uh, uh justice equity and and uh, climate emergency so this this 10 billion which in you know you, for a start you need billions of pounds to fully insulate london's rather drafty victorian right. housing stock. and also if he's also going to try and stop the climate to stop the temperature uh, uh, rising so what he's talking about, of course, is in 2020, uh, Mayor Sadiq Khan launched London's Green New Deal fund with 10 million to support, drop in the ocean, as he said. Absolutely. I wonder if we can get him back. Uh, it's only for a couple of minutes anyway. But it, um, but but really what it's about is Chris goes on to explain. I absolutely implore you to read this article. It's a brilliant article. But Chris goes on to explain what's really going on here. And that was there was more details of Khan's supposed green jobs can be gained by examining the funding. Now, I always follow the money, of course. It's very important to follow the money. And there is a hub behind all of this that uh, that Khan had launched. And it is it covers 12 London boroughs. And it says it will focus on green occupations in the construction sector, including roles in waste and recycling management. As Chris said, it's money for old rope. We used to call them dustmen. And uh, we didn't call them dust women because actually I've, I've literally, I've only ever in my entire life ever seen one woman on the dust carts. And uh, so, yes, that's exactly what we used to do. So it is money for old rope. What are you saying there in the comments? The real cost of the environment through manufacturing EVs is becoming more obvious. It really is. And um, so, oh, grumpy old woman is talking about the dark side of the green energy economy. Yes, indeed. Well, it is a dark side. It is about what's this? Let me have a look at some more. There's so many comments coming in that I will read them. Um, as we've sadly lost Chris Morrison, but uh, as I say, absolutely implore you to read that article. The only thing Ray Can says the only thing guaranteed by green agenda is hunger unemployment, social unrest, and a population reduction. Indeed, and it is very, very troubling indeed. And I have another announcement to make. It's about the London premiere of the Trust Fall to do with Julian Assange. That will be at Rio Cinemas on Sunday, 18th of Feb at 1pm. The film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tariq Ali, Christine Harafterson, and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, go to Google or any other search engine. I go for 
slightly cozier personally and search for the trustful Julian Assange London premiere. And we are here at today's news talk, lighting the fuse for freedom, because that is exactly what we do. And on that note, I'm going to go to a short break and I will welcome in my second guest. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Report a cyber tip today. You're listening to Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. TNT. Again, I apologize for the rather abrupt ending to what Chris Morrison was saying. It's a live show and things happen, you know, but uh, I think we all got the gist of it. And certainly the comments are flooding in. Chris Smith said the only way to educate those with their heads in the sand is to block mainstream news so no one can watch it. So many where I live have electric vehicles and think they're saving the planet. Drives me crazy. I see what you did there, Chris. Holly, all these green jobs are not sustainable or waffle and nonsense. I know someone who has got a grant to put up electric wallpaper. Tell me no. How can you have electric wallpaper? What on earth? Are you, you're pulling my leg, Holly, right? This is not April the 1st, right? This is Valentine's Day. And uh, But yes, absolutely. I think what's brilliant, obviously, about the viewers of TNT is it's a smart bunch of people and growing, uh, which we love. We do indeed. And uh, on that note, I'm going to bring in somebody else who I consider to be extremely smart. He's a commentator, a writer, a famed yellow board holder. I once made the mistake of calling him an activist and he slapped me down somewhat sharpish, I should say. He is, of course, Francis O'Neill. Hello there, Francis. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for having me on. 
brilliant to have you with us. The thing that's great about Francis is he's not afraid to tackle taboo topics, which we love around here, absolutely love around here. So let's go in on the most taboo of taboo topics at this moment in time. And that is obviously the criticism of Israel is now being portrayed large, far and wide as anti-Semitic. We're seeing that extensively at the moment in British politics, where people are preparing themselves for election. And Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, has suspended several of his Labour candidates. Um, one was for making a, a series of comments about October the 7th, about how um, Israel is implicated in those Hamas attacks of October the 7th. And uh, Keir Starmer has withdrawn his support of that particular candidate. And then he withdrew his, that's his Azar Ali, who is running for Rochdale. So he, Azar Ali is still running for Rochdale, but without the backing of Labour. And it will be terribly embarrassing for Labour when he almost certainly wins, which I suspect he will. And then there's been another candidate who Sakia Starmer has now pulled out from, who was crit critical of Israel. So the problem really is we, we can't be... Criti not only critical of Israel, Francis, but we can't ask questions about a famed um, attack. What's going on here? Well, obviously, first of all, we have to always use the caveat that we, we're not um, attacking Israel per se any more than when we would uh, critically um, appraise the actions of the British government or the United States government or the Saudi government or the Chinese government. So there's no um, vendetta or, or animosity on my part, I'm sure on your part, to any group of people or any nation or anything like that. But when we're looking at current affairs, it's important to look at the geopolitical interests and to think about um, what the motivations could be. And also, if you put it in a con historical context, you can see that Israel has been involved in, in uh, untoward uh, activities, just as all those other governments have. And, and some of these have been false flag events. We can go back to the uh, king, the attack on the King David at Hotel, which helped um, speed the removal of British forces from the area in 1946. You've got the Levon Affair. These are documented false flag uh, um, events or conspiracies that are widely accepted as historical facts where Israel uh, carried out attacks to blame on other groups of people to further its interests. And there's also an attack on the USS Liberty um, in which American soldiers died. And in, in that attack on the King David Hotel, even Jewish people died. So it's not without precedent that Israel could carry out what they call a false flag attack. And if somebody's not familiar with that term, it just means that they operate under a flag which is not their own in order to blame the attack on another group of people. Now, then we look at what's happening on October the 7th, and we see that the, Israel is one of the most powerful militaries in the world, and it has and it's, it receives a massive amount of, of money from the United States. Almost at one point, I think it was it was uh, reckoned at about ten million dollars a day from the United States to help fund its its security. And uh, there are former Israeli agents and operatives um, who would who were surprised, as the public were, I think, in Israel at the the the. Um, the, the attack and how the ease at which people breached Israeli security because they thought that, you know, even if a cat moved on those areas, the censors would pick it up and and um and 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 response would be much more forthcoming, much more quickly. Um and and the uh, the, the festival that was attacked was moved closer to the, the border and and it was only a matter of miles from other Israeli bases and forces. And yet uh, 
it took them eight hours to get there. So and and more for other areas that were under attack. So all of this is very strange. And I think anybody with any kind of critical appreciation would look at what what other motives and could this have been allowed to happen at the very least, or could it have been facilitated? And and again in that historical context, and that's without um, any any emotional attachment to, to what's happened. It's just looking at it in a forensic way as somebody who might investigate the event might do. Now, the politicians you mentioned there who've been suspended, some of them have done this and, and queried it. And what they have been uh, uh, labeled immediately is, 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 is exploring conspiracy theories and being anti-Semitic. But it does not follow that you are anti-Semitic if you question a government any more than you're anti-British or, or if you question the Catholic Church, you're anti-Catholic. Um, these institutions are capable of wrongdoing regardless of what the um, epithet is attached right. to. And 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 it's and, and a conspiracy theory. It's very important that people get their heads around this. Is a weaponized term in the sense that it is used to address any act of wrongdoing against an authority that has not yet been admitted to by those accused of the wrongdoing, and right. it's become a catch-all term to 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 to, to defend authority of, of of all misdemeanors. Right. But since the November protests, the pro-Palestine protests, certainly in England, we've seen a ramping up of this. And in fact, yesterday, three women were found guilty of terror offences after they were said to have displayed images of the Hamas paragliders um, in, in October. No, following the October 7th attack, rather. And uh, so they denied it. They said that's not what it's about. This is about, you know, it's about illustrating freedom, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, Hamas is a banned group in the UK. You can't be seen to be promoting it in any way whatsoever. But so these three women have now been convicted of terror offences. But there is certainly a feeling that it is dangerous to criticise Israel in any way whatsoever because of the conflation of calling out Zionism with the with the conflation of it being anti-Semitic. And that's the very dangerous territory, Francis, that that renders people silent about genocidal crimes. Well, exactly. But I think I think we have we have to understand that there are some people so we, we can accept that there are some people who maybe do have um, um, uh, ill intent towards Israel or ill intent towards Jewish people. And those people make it difficult for the rest of us to have right. a rational and reasonable conversation about it. And there's also those people who want to completely shut down any criticism of Israel. So they use that. And so, uh, but even as long ago as 2002, an Israeli minister by uh, called Shulamit Aloni said that anti-Semitism is a trick. We always use it. These are her words to 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 deflect criticism of Israeli polit uh, policy. And she's on video saying that. But what I think you've touched upon a, a even more, a bigger point than you might have uh, intended to in, in what you've just said there, because when I was out with the Yellow Board, so we were doing a, a, an outreach on a different subject, and we happened to come across a, a protest that, a, about the genocide in Gaza. And some of the people thought that we were trying to steal their thunder and were a little bit unhappy with this. So the police sort of, you know, just moved in, in, in the way and just so that there wasn't any trouble. And I was speaking to some of these policemen and I had a very polite chat with them. They weren't from London. This was, this was in London. They were from up north in Yorkshire and they were very conversational. And, and at the end, one of them handed me a flyer. And on the flyer, it said, a series of things that would have helped me not get arrested. And it was saying that you couldn't, and it was all very subjective. It was saying things about how you couldn't say things that might be taken to be hateful or 
uh, scary and how you couldn't you couldn't it said it's detailed that you couldn't express any support for a terrorist organization but all these terms were subjective and in my head i was thinking so at the moment people might agree that you shouldn't really be supporting hamas and they might think it's good that it's illegal that you don't support hamas and and i don't think anybody who really um who favors peace would support hamas and and, and they have dubious origins anyway they might even have been founded by israel by some reports Right, but my my concern would be that if we accept that you cannot speak freely about one group, how easily that group could be changed and turned towards anti-lockdown protesters or anti-vaxxers or whatever cause you want. Once you've set the precedent that a group can be criminalized and support for it can be criminalized, you can apply that to other forms of protest. Right, and that is absolutely deeply troubling deeply deeply troubling so look francis I, I i i'm really reluctant to move you along because you're such a brilliant speaker but there are other things that you do want to touch upon and i think that it is still absolutely relevant you wanted to talk about tucker carlson briefly what did you want to say about tucker so i just want to put this in a context as well so i know a lot of people uh, are finding what he's doing very uh, at the moment um to be to their liking so but i i remember tucker carlson from the past 20 years and in the aftermath of 9 11 he had on his show i think he was with msnbc then um and he had on his show uh, uh, professor stephen jones and professor stephen jones agreed to go on his show to discuss 9 11 on the condition that they showed the viewers the fall of World Trade Center Building 7, which was a 47-story skyscraper, which fell suddenly and symmetrically at free-fall acceleration, meaning that all its support columns were severed at the same time, and it looked like a classic controlled demolition. And anybody who, who, who sees that footage would have questions about the event of 9-11. Now, um, Tucker Carlson never showed that footage and obstructed and maligned the professor. And he also did the same with another 9-11 uh, activist called uh, Professor uh, David Ray Griffin, so I see him uh, and as uh, somebody who obstructed the truth when it was relevant, when it was important, in the same way that lots of people now would look at people who, um, you know, supported lockdowns or, 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 or um, obstructed the truth in relation to lockdowns or in relation to the medications that were forced upon people. It's, it's a litmus test. It's a kind of a gauge as to whether they are on the side of truth and freedom or not. And, and his failure and, and actual his um, obstruction has led to the to, to the situation that we are in now. So to some degree, he is complicit. So when we see this man um, emerge from the mainstream media and his profile increase and then go over to speak to Putin, I have questions. Now, again, Putin's another one who I, I would like to address, if I may, about, about how um, people think that he is um, uh, on the cause of freedom. Now, he's a harder one for, for, for me to gauge because I'm not, um, as I don't speak Russian, I'm not familiar with that. And I've had a discussion with somebody who does live in Russia and who does speak Russian, and they think that he's he is on, um, he is what he appears to be, that he's against the, the global agenda. But if again, if we put this in a historical context, and I think this is very important, and we look back at World War One and World War Two. And, and even the Bolshevik Revolution, Russia was founded at that time by the Western bankers um, and people like the Milner Group and the, the Rhodes Roundtable Foundation, people like Trotsky and Lenin were funded. They were permitted to return to Russia. They were they were backed by the Western bankers. And, 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 and so that whole country that we thought there was a Cold War going on or we thought that there was the, uh, in, we were in opposition to them, both the Germans and, and the British allowed Trotsky and Lenin to go to Russia to 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 to, to um 
overthrow the Tsar and create what became the Soviet Union. And, and, and more recently than that, we have uh, James Van Allen, who's famous for the Van Allen radiation belt. His daughter right. has come out and said she was very worried during the Cold War, like everybody in America was, they were worried about nuclear attack and so on. But then she was reassured because she knew that her, her father was always working with the Russian scientists so on, on the, the levels that the public did not see. They were always cooperating. And there's also a book by, and this is all documented that you can, if people can, if they're listening to me and they want the footnotes, there's a man called Anthony Sutton who's written extensively about um, how, how the West funded Russia. And, and there's videos of his interviews where it is much more encapsulated in a short form. But there's also more recently um, a researcher called Gary Allen who, who wrote a book called Non Dare Call It a Conspiracy. Um, and uh, G. Edward Griffin, who writes about the Federal Reserve and, and the founding of that and how the money uh, masters rule the world. And he was, and they document how there's a, been, been a continuous wealth transfer from the West, from America to fund Russia. So in that historical context, I wonder whether the bankers are um, still in control of, of the Russian leaders in the same way that it's hard for people to believe that they control our own leaders. And if they're not, then it's kind of anomaly that Putin has somehow managed to find his way to a position of power in which he is. Um, and, and again, in the historical context, this would make sense. Sometimes people figures do emerge where they are against the overarching monopoly, but there are so many people around them that they struggle to impose their will for freedom and for justice and to fight that kind of the, the, the advance of the new world order. It's very difficult, isn't it? When you're in the public eye and you have a public profile, then some errors that you could have made, say, 20 years ago, can come back to haunt you. So, for example, do we know Tucker Carlson's current thoughts on 9-11? So he has made noises recently, but uh, you see, um, Tucker Carlson um, is what somebody who's supposedly applied to join the CIA and didn't quite make it. Like Anderson right. Cooper was supposedly a CIA intern and didn't make it. But Tucker Carlson's father was also a CIA operative who then became the head of an American information organization called The Voice for America. So that's another context you might want to look at it in. So I, when, I, when I see this guy who uh, has has links and associations now that he, that he would, that of course, may be innocent, I'm just presenting the information as i understand it absolutely so, that he, he then he's been an obstruction for but the, the fact was it's so disingenuous what i have seen and that's that footage still exists if you look for it these interviews that i've mentioned about 9 11 he he obstructs the truth he's not um oh i'm not sure or um, I'm not aware. And when people have queried him um, uh, um, at various intervals over the past 20 years, he's always rubbished it until recently. But now uh, the, the, what's changed is that 9-11 is no longer the, the, the cause of the moment. It's now lockdowns and vaccinations and we've moved on. And so you can it's almost like the the importance of of, of, of um, applying that that truth. And the power of that truth has has lessened in some way because they, they've got away with that one to a degree. And so now he's able to throw tidbits out and he's still not explicit about what um, he, um, I would like him to say, for example, about it. But he, he, he throws he throws bones to the truth movement which then give him kudos, which allow people to trust him. And then and, and my sense is that the, the, um, the powers that we would like not to be <laughs> are aware that the mainstream media have lost the faith of the public. And so in order right. to do in order to gain right. the faith of the public, they uh, need, to take, need to take control of the alternative media. And so he has right. moved from the mainstream. He's become a, a rebel figure. His profile's increased and now he's interviewing Putin. And so um I think there's something like that going on at the moment. Well and I think it's really important to raise up questions. I take issue with when 
and this is not you, but I take issue when you have people online who are like, if you know them, they have to be in the club. Not necessarily. Some people are just able to rise without having sold their soul to any larger agenda. But I do think it's important that we're allowed to ask questions. And the thing is, I don't know about you, Alistair. Uh, the thing about it, Francis, is I'm so sick of hero worship. That's the thing. I think people need to be much more individualistic in their thinking and critical thinking, certainly. And we literally seem to go like schools of fish, don't we, from one person to another. Oh, this person's saying exactly what I want to hear. And I think that makes people vulnerable. Well, I think I take your point because, you, I mean, there is a place for <laughs> almost like the lack of trust is as bad a problem as, as excessive trust. Although I think right. over the past few years that that might not be true because the, over the past few years it seems that excessive trust has been the problem. But um, what, what when you look at, say, um, uh, the, the attention given to things, that's very key to me. So, like, for example, the attention given to this interview with Putin, it's everywhere in the mainstream. But if they didn't it want it. It absolutely is. And I'm going to I'm going to have to end you on that note, which I hate having to do, but I think it's a really important note to end on it is everywhere it's and that i think is absolutely key this has been wednesday's version of the sonia polton show i am always delighted to be here with you i want to thank my brilliant guests chris morrison francis o'neill of course Gemma, always brilliant thank you so much for all of your input you can obviously contact me at sonia polton at tntradio.live we will be back again tomorrow from me and the team have a terrific day and take excellent care of yourself full of love Take care.